Welcome back to Lovingly Reminder, where we remind you to call your mom on Tuesdays. So lovingly remind you. That sound you saying that way too sexily to talk about calling your mom. Makes you breathe heavy when you call mom. Welcome to <laughs> Love and Reminder. Is this Bane? <laughs> this is for all your moms or out Batman? There. <laughs> this is Batman has a mid- midnight radio show. <laughs> Batman, where he tells you to call your mom. I'm Batman. I'm here to talk to you about calling your mother <laughs> before it's too late. Does, does Bane call it? <coughs> that hurt my throat. I have mother, Batman. I don't have a mother either. Because of criminals like you. <laughs> Did you know the average movie costs way more than you'll probably ever make in your entire lifetime? Movies are an expensive business, and when they crash, they crash hard. But why'd they fail? Was it bad timing, a bad film, or just bad luck? Let's take a look and try to see where it went wrong, if you could have seen it coming, and what wounds turned out to be fatal. I'm Matt. I'm Steve. And this... is the autopsy report. So it seems like pirate movies always have very similar plots. Have you noticed that? Yes. Yes, I have. It seems like if you if you're like want to watch this pirate movie, you kind of know what you're getting. You kind of know what the story's going to be. There's going to be swashbuckling and treasure and more swashbuckling. I think there's just, a minimum of four swashbuckles. Just just once though, I'd like to see like a touching pirate story about a man who's who's trying to balance his home life with his love of the sea while he's also trying to battle his scurvy and of course his illiteracy <laughs> and then it culminates in him becoming an accountant and he's able to stay home and he no longer has to go out onto the ocean he could raise his kids without disappearing for years at a time and then there's a touching moment at the end where he's holding his child and he says the treasure in papa's life now is you little one and I'm not going to bury it anymore. Does he at least have a hook hand? Like, Oh, of course. Or a peg leg? Yes. I like course. to see that hook hand like sliding the, the abacus. Yeah. He's an accountant now. And like, he wipes a little tear away from her eye when he says that line. <laughs> Just leaves a line of blood. <laughs> Papa, you hurt me. <laughs> I'll never hurt you again. Well, except when I took you in every night. I hope the lady is prepared to be a good loser. What gave you the idea I was a lady? Another picture? I see your legs moving. Yes? Are you trying to kill me, madame? Yes, that's why I'm aiming where your brains are. Now leave this place and go far away. Don't retreat now, sir. Where are you going? Don't surrender this opportunity. 40 pounds to end the bidding. 40 pounds! Sell to the lady with the monkey! Eight years before Jack Sparrow made pirates cool, and two decades before Jack Sparrow made pirates trash, an Icarus-like production company called Carolco dared to dream bold and put all their doubloons in one ship, so to speak, to create a blockbuster pirate movie to right their company's freefall. Instead of riches, however, Carolco's film marooned the studio with no food and no water on an island of failure. Wither and die. Cutthroat Island, the movie that killed a company and scared Hollywood away from pirates, stars Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. Is it Modine? Modine? Modine, I think. Matthew Modine. Stars Gina Davis and Matthew Modine, opposite of Frank Lagella. 
I don't know. Lang- say any names. Um, <laughs> I think it's Frank Langella. Yeah. Opposite of Frank Langella's classic pirate villain dog. Move over, Jeffrey Russ's Barbosa. There's a new dog. <laughs> You're gonna say that like that every time. I think that's how you say his name. Well, it is with it is D A W G. Dog. <laughs> Cutthroat Island is a pirate movie about you guessed it, trying to find a hidden treasure. No, yeah, I know. I was really shocked by that. Davis tries her damnedest and fails spectacularly at being a hard-edged, bad-habited pirate who has to go against up against her own evil uncle to find three pieces of a map in order to find the infamous stash of riches on, yep, Cutthroat Island. Wait, who's your evil uncle? Dog. Ah, oh, right. Uh, Matthew Modine is just kind of there every now and then as the character Shaw, uh, a thief whose role was so shoved to the side in order to make room for more Gina Davis and more explosions that it is not shocking that Michael Douglas ended up dropping out of this movie. So, Steve, what did you think? Of dog in the movie <laughs> Cutthroat Island. I thought dog was a uh, was great. That was the best part. Uh, what do you think of the rest of the movie? Um, you know, as as you longtime listeners know, I tend to fall asleep at least once during watching trying to watch these movies. Uh, I fall asleep all twice. Movies. For it all they me, know, they just think you fall asleep. Well, all no, time. it's usually these podcast movies because they usually suck. And it took me three viewings to finish this. I fell asleep. Well, no, I, I started to get tired, and I'm just like like an hour in. Not even an hour in, I think. I was like, oh, my God, there's still an hour left of this shit. So I turned it off, and was like, oh, fight another day. Then I started watching again. And got it was 10 a.m. as well, people. And just it was for- just, I, I got through it. I even went back and watched a few scenes again at the beginning just to refresh like what actually happens. But uh, it is um, very, very boring. And it's very forgettable. It's so forgettable. I've I watched this movie within the last week. I can't even remember what day, but it's definitely within the last week. Uh, and I barely feel like I remember it. <laughs> there's like there's a lot of explosions and some cool stunts here and there. A and, surprising amount of good special of, of horses running around. There's a lot of production value at times, and there's a lot of really bad visual effects. But I, I'll chalk that up to being in the mid '90s. But hmm. There, there's a there's a weird mix of like oh that was actually kind of cool the way they did that and then there's like some that's like this looks like a high schooler just discovered green screen in his video production class yeah there's, there's a few of those yeah I'd um I wouldn't say this is the worst movie we've done uh it's not in the no we, I don't know if we've done any that are like actually bad, good I movies guess. we haven't done any good movies yet have we that just didn't make money well. Well, you uh, you know you loved Ishtar, Waterworld is amazing and Waterworld is this guy maybe is you just don't believe that movies are ever good <laughs> good point this is the story of Coroco Pictures the company who in a span of a few years went from a blockbuster churning machine to a big money losing mess in 1995, pirate movies weren't exactly the westerns of old or the superhero movies of today Four years before Cutthroat Island, Hook hit cinemas and used happy thoughts to fly its way past $300 million. But outside of Hook, if you scan a list of pirate movies, there doesn't really seem to be much uh, buried treasure. In, in fact, uh, mostly you just see rehash after rehash of Treasure Island. It seems like they've made that movie a thousand times and still have yet to strike treasure. 
every time with like a Long John Silver commercial. Ooh, it's a good tie-in though. Carl Co. However, needed a win, and they needed a big win right now in 1995. Despite being the production company behind Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, arguably the best action movie of all time, right. uh, Carlico was in dire financial trouble. Their idea to save themselves? Create a big action adventure movie powered by a well-known star and sell it like hotcakes over to overseas distributors on the promise of action explosion. So much action and explosion that it was sold on the promise of being... Quote, a dozen diehard movies. Because when I think of pirates, I think of a dozen diehard movies. I mean, who doesn't, right? Their big star of this whole train powering this bad boy was supposed to be Michael Douglas, uh, who had originally agreed to play the character of Shaw. And while not a superstar director, director uh, Rennie Harlan was coming off Cliffhanger, which starred Sylvester Stallone and made a whopping $255 million. Plus, Harlan uh, was bringing his wife along with him, who was seven years removed from winning an Oscar, and that is Gina Davis. Sure, Davis was mostly well-known for comedies and dramas, uh, and her last three movies didn't exactly make uh, very many high waves <laughs> on the on the seven seas. <laughs> but she'd uh, she'd had success in the past. Obviously, she had you know got an Oscar win and some noms. And Harlan was insistent that this movie was going to be her turn. That they were going to turn her into an action star, kind of kind of remake her. But everything was falling apart around Carol Co. But this could work, right? Pirates that pirates are fun. Michael Douglas was a big star. The budget wasn't crazy. They're going to spend $60 million on this movie. And Harlan knew the importance of action and spectacle because he did also helm Die Hard 2. It's a good movie. So they could totally, this could totally work. This movie could totally save this company. Maybe if it had all gone down that way, it could have. But it fucking did her. <laughs> In 1976, Kassan Vajna formed Kuroko. The name was brought from a defunct company in Panama, and according to Kassar, it has no meaning. Normally, movies that we talk about debut somewhere in like the top five, right? Generally, usually, if it's a big budget movie, which we mostly talk about, there's usually at least some sort of hype in, par- in marketing. And, you know, even if it's a bad movie, even yeah. Ishtar landed sort of high at first. Right, right. So it's like maybe a number one for like a week or maybe it's, you know, number two and then it just kind of drops fast. Well, can you take a guess as to where Cutthroat Island debuted at December 22nd, 1995, right at the peak Christmas time? Oh, well, I love pirates. This is Christmas, uh, and, and nothing says Christmas like pirates. Right. So, obviously, this presents is a, this is like a gold. Top, top four movie. Top four, you would think. Nope. Uh, aim a little, expand your results a little bit there. Top six movie. Top six is a good guess. I would have I would have gone top six, yeah, but no. Let's, uh, you uh, should keep going. It can't um, be less than top eight. Yeah, top eight. Like, uh, yeah, no. Like, uh, think more. Wow, you're telling me. How many days of Christmas are there? Wait, you're trying to tell me this movie couldn't even. Top 10, obviously. No. no. 10? Dear Lord. Dear God Almighty. 
debuting at number 11 Ooh. with 2.3 million dollars cutthroat island yeah number 11th place and it's opening weekend. Opening people. weekend, eleventh place. Around Christmas time. I I feel like the Carol Co. Company executives were like killing themselves on December twenty sixth. <laughs> it was just like, no, don't want to ruin Christmas for the kids, and then you know it's time to time to say goodbye to daddy. It is worth noting that it was one of eight movies to open up on December. Talk 22nd. about a loaded fucking Christmas weekend. So even right there, just counting new releases, it already had to beat eight other movies. <laughs> Not counting movies already, you know, holding over and coming in from weeks before. This was a like this was a lot of different movies to appeal to just about everyone that would ever go see a movie on Christmas. What uh? What, what were these movies? What What so, are the eight new movies that dropped? All right, so we've got Waiting to Exhale. Ooh. Which, if I remember correctly, is a it was a romantic comedy starring Whitney Houston and Ooh. Angela Bassett, but not the Bodyguard. But not the Bodyguard. No, I think that would have been post Bodyguard, pre Bodyguard. I don't, I don't know. Um, then, then you have Grumpier Old Men, the sequel to Grumpy Old Men with. You tell me, pirate movie couldn't Walter, be some grumpy old men? Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon. I mean, come on, you can't, you can't beat these old fogies sudden death which i'm definitely not just right now looking that up on imdb to see what that is even about and who it stars of course the classic jean-claude van damme movie sudden <laughs> Ooh, death you know that did so really now, well in family videos so across you've got the, the country you, yeah you've got the old folks you've got the women you've got the the dude bros who want to go see jean-claude van damme and um, next up you got the Mark Twain fans, which is you a got, huge crowd. And the Jonathan Taylor Thomas fans. Hello. So that's Ooh. your family going to see Tom and Huck with that one. Tom and mm. Huck. Who else was it? Brad Renfro was was Huck. And then of course you got December's favorite movie. <laughs> and then yeah. Then just in case uh those vampires out there wanted to see Dracula Dead and Loving It. Nothing says Christmas like Dracula dead and loving. I mean, it. it's Leslie Nielsen, Mel Brooks. You know, there's there's definitely an audience for that. That's like for the dads, the dads who dropped their wife off for waiting for exhale, but felt that they were too young to see grumpier old men, too old to see sudden death, or not not cool enough to see sudden death, too old to see Tom and Huck. They go see a Leslie Nielsen movie, <laughs> <laughs> because let's face it, like that's still Leslie Nielsen, like not not totally over right like he they, i mean airplane was the start of it in the 80s all the naked gun and apparently whatever. dracula dead and loving it sucked but to young matt that movie is a classic i don't know if i've ever actually watched that and then then for the the more yeah, we're dramatically not we're not done there's more movies yeah, there's eight movies folks <laughs> for the dramatically uh and like award inclined you have nixon starring anthony hopkins Mm, yes. Did he? Didn't he win an Oscar for that, or get nominated, or Anthony Hopkins? I don't know. I, uh, he did get it, best actor in a leading role nominee. Yes. So yeah, you know, so that's your that's your uh, Oscar bait movie for the weekend, and then last but not least, or maybe least, because I have to look that up too, is. The Kevin Bacon voiced animated film Balto. 
You had to look up Balto. I you did. don't know Balto. I don't remember Balto. Although wow. I, I think I've actually I've seen this now that I see some pictures from it. It starts in real life, foxes. and then it transitions when there were kids uh, like, "Look, Daddy, it's the statue of this dog named Balto." And he's like, "Let me tell you a two-hour story here in the okay. middle of winter." An outcast half wolf risks his life to prevent a deadly epidemic from rag- ravaging Nome, Alaska. All right, I didn't think a half wolf. Would- so Cutthroat Island had to come out and compete against all those films right off the bat. Yeah, that's a that is a tall task. Mm-hmm. That is worse than scurvy on the poop deck. Not to mention that other films that were in the theaters already at that time uh, were two juggernauts in Toy Story and Jumanji. Oh my God! So. This movie came out at a rough time yeah, for a time when they really needed a win. You would have thought like maybe they would have been just like, yeah, you know, maybe we should push it back or but the, I feel like they just there was no there was no like fixing this problem that they had. No, I mean, which was this movie. So in week 2, Cutthroat Island fell from 11th to 15th, even Only though it, it did it did gross more money in its second week. Interesting. But it still fell. Uh, yeah, it made $2.8 million, a little more than 2.3 of its first week. Uh, but like I mentioned, uh, Toy Story and Jumanji were out at this time, and they were just juggernauts, especially Toy Story. Like, just a side note, this movie was dominating. It came out on November 24th, and it was number one or number two for seven weeks straight, which is pretty crazy. That is crazy. It was just kicking some ass. And week three... Cutthroat Island dropped to under a million dollars and after losing around 600 theaters and it fell to 18th place. It would it would end up staying. Yeah, that's like the cannonballs they're firing and exploding everything. Uh <laughs> this movie ripped through the box office like a cannonball through a ship. Yeah. Um it lasted 7 weeks before it was pulled out of theaters. In the being in below thirtieth in weeks four through seven, that is just the most horrific thing you could possibly have happen. It's a terrible box office run to drop all the way below thirtieth in week by week four. But to to debut out of the top ten is mm-hmm. like it's just oh, I feel their pain over there, Carol. It, it was rejected upon arrival. So as we see, this movie did not make very much money, as you could probably tell. Um, and you're like, "Ooh, that sounds like a problem." Well, this movie only made ten million dollars domestically, ten million dollars, and you're like, "Ooh, that seems low." Worldwide, <laughs> did that help it at all, Matt? I'm like, "Sorry, buddy, not really." Why are you talking to yourself? Oh, this is the, the crowd. Oh, the, the audience. Audience is talking. Well, I think to me. I feel like if they're listening to this podcast, they're gonna uh, assume pretty handily that it didn't make money. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. They don't know. Maybe we're gonna throw them a curveball one day. That would be fun. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Worldwide, Cutthroat Island uh, made $18 million. And you're like, that's pretty low. But what was its budget, Matt? We got to know how much it lost. Thanks, guy who keeps interrupting. <laughs> yes. Shut up, dude. Get Shut out up, of here. fucker. <laughs> so the budget. I think it's Tim. Shut up, Tim. No, please don't shut up, Tim. Keep listening. Yeah, we keep need listening, you. <laughs> so the budget is a little all over the place, but it's a lot. Uh, the numbers has the budget at $92 million. Uh, Box Office Mojo has the budget at $98 million. I swear I didn't even see it on either of those sites. but 
uh, a Time article that I found uh, from that time. <laughs> oh. Didn't mean to do that. I'm so clever. Uh, reported the budget at $115 million. But there, uh, there's an independent article <laughs> that came out around 1996 and... And it said that the cost of not of producing, financing, marketing, and distributing this movie, so a lot of stuff in one, totaled to $121 million. Fucking hell. In 1994, remember, people. 95. Well, it came out in 95. Yeah. They were shooting in 94. Yeah. So, so that's when we get to inflation fun time. Inflation <laughs> fun time. We need some like, fireworks. We need like, a theme song for that. Yeah. Yeah, inflation fun time. So to put things into perspective, uh, let's take uh, let's take the ninety-eight million dollar budget. Today, that ninety-eight million dollar budget would be a hundred and sixty-two <laughs> million dollars. So you're like, ooh, that's a lot more. Damn straight it is, Tim. Damn straight. <laughs> that eighteen million dollar worldwide that it made, that would be twenty-nine million dollars today. So now you're like, ooh, it made more. Oh wait, Tim, you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> that it costs more. This is inflation more, fun time, Tim. This is inflation fun time. That's or, a hundred and thirty-three million dollar loss. Or Mike, Mike, he'd be listening to it. one of our two listeners. Yeah. How dare you imply we only have two listeners? <laughs> uh, yeah, hundred and thirty-three million dollar loss in in today's money. In today's money. Ouch. <laughs> that's a suicide number. That's like a sunburn from being out on the open seas for too long. Yeah, uh, saying this movie didn't perform well is like saying a triple fatality car accident on the way to Disneyland was a vacation that didn't turn out too great. I mean, it's technically true, but yeah. They literally might as well have just thrown all that money in a burn barrel and instead of being like, maybe we could save ourselves with this, they're like, maybe we could heat ourselves with this. You know, it's pretty (laughs) cold out. Maybe we could just like, you know, turn it on fire and dump the barrel on top of ourselves. So this movie was obviously an epic disaster. What the hell happened? We all want to know. This is like the real disaster film. Yeah. It's not like a disaster film. It's just a disaster. It's not like the disaster movie, that epic movie slash scary movie slash superhero movie. Oh, right. Yeah. Thing. No, this is real disaster movie, people. Well, before we could uh, uh, drudge up the shipwreck for a closer look. Uh, we gotta, we gotta take t- set sail on the on the rough seas and the rough and tumble seas, and get a better understanding of what we're dealing with. Doing genre films, it's just too many puns. That's right. <laughs> they don't call me the the pun master for nothing. They don't call you the pun master. I know because I'm, wor- <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm trying to get that title. So uh, let's uh, do our favorite thing and talk about this stupid, stupid ass movie. Yeah. For the movie, Arnie was paid eight million dollars for his role in *A Habit for Kuroko*, paying the actors more money than regular studios. Basically, what's her face is a pirate, and her father tells her about a treasure that he has hidden. Mm-hmm. Of course, because she's a pirate. And so she has to treasure. piece together different pieces of the map. Like, part of it's with her uncle, part of it's with some other guy no, they're both related uncles. to. Yeah, yeah, they're both uncles. That's yeah. right. So, the three brothers, apparently, they all split it up. And they split the map into different pieces to put together to find it. And so, she gets the pieces of the map. Matthew Modine is her slave. Uh, she has to battle her uncle to get to the treasure. 
Her uncle, dog. Dog. And then eventually they get to the treasure and happy ever after. That was very succinct. It was very succinct. But now I feel like we can get into the nitty gritty of like ridiculousness. Because like honestly, if you care enough about the details, you just watch it. Listen, we can't do a Batman and Robert breakdown every time. It's just not possible. (laughs) Right. So there's no nipples on the suits in this one. I think we that I saw. we have to address uh, quickly the terrible opening scene of this movie. The opening scene, yes, I definitely remember this. So this starts <laughs> with uh, we are introduced to our lady pirate because this our main pirate is a lady pirate. Uh, Gina Davis is the star, not Matthew Modine. I don't care what they try to tell you; he's n- not the star of this movie. So and she's uh, she just got done sleeping with some dude. Morgan Adams is her name. Morgan Adams, that's right. Old Morgan. Oh yeah, Adams. she did. She, she that's right. It starts with her like getting dressed in a in a bedroom. Yeah, and so she tries to be like all suave, and then like you know, like you know, like a dude. It's like the role was written for like a like a almost like a guy character. It's just like I just got done sleeping with this rich royal woman. And now I'm going to be all like, see ya, I'm yeah. a pirate, and I don't care. But the genders are flipped, so it's right. like, oh, okay. Um, but then he's like, you're not going anywhere because you're a pirate. And he like, pulls his gun out <laughs> on her. And then she opens her hand, and she's like, I think I am or whatever. And she's like, because I took your balls. Yes, she did. And she's all in his musket balls. <laughs> and then you're like right there, you're like, oh, it's going to be that kind of movie. <laughs> I see we're in for a long one. This this scene, by the way, brings me to my favorite ever uh, IMDb trivia that I've ever seen someone write. At the very end, it says, in her first scene, Morgan says to the man she seduced, I got your balls. Balls is slang word for male genitals. <laughs> that is the trivia. That is the fun fact that Ooh. somebody decided they needed to add to IMDb. Did people find it helpful? Zero of six have found this interesting Aww. to date. And I, I don't know. Ooh, I'm going to add that to seven right now. Sucker. Oh, I um, thought it was interesting. I didn't know that. That's Oh, I get the joke now. Yeah, Matt was like, oh, what? Oh, she took his musket balls. Nice. Clever. So then, I don't remember... I just remember they end up like leaving quickly and riding horses off into the sunset on t- along the water. Yeah, and w- and then there's uh, the weird scene when she gets on the boat and there's like like mid potential mutiny and she's like swimming to the boat and it's sunset, but then the boat shots are super dark. Yeah, it's, and then it's yeah, and then it's like her on the swimming again and it's sunset mm-hmm. and then it's the boat shot again and it's super dark and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and uh. Yeah, and then there's like a mutiny in the boat, but who cares about that? Like the bigger point is that her father has been taken hostage by a dog, but no. she's trying to rescue him because he's making and he's gonna make him walk the plank because he wants the piece of the map. Because you gotta walk the plank to get the treasure, not blah 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 blah. Yeah. Pirate stuff. You know the typical pirate thing. Well, so he gets shot and falls off, and she rescues him into her boat, and then she takes him away to like some rock island thing nearby, uh, and. This is where things get just even weirder for the rest of the film. Uh, um, she, she, he's like dying, and she's like, "I'm gonna, I need to give you the map." And then she's, he's like, "I need you to cut my hair, or shave my head." 
Yeah, she had to scalp him. She so yes, she ends up scalping her own father. They don't like show this scene, but just later on, she comes and she has this big flabby piece of scalp with a map on it because he had the map, the portion of his portion of the map tattooed onto his head, under his hair. Mm-hmm. And another portion of the map was like on a piece of a fucking barrel. It was like a triangular piece of wood that was hidden in this barrel full of eels. Yeah, because a bar. And I remember, eels. I remember watching the credits and it was like puppets by Henson or whatever, like something. And I was like, what the fuck animatronics or puppets did they have? And I was like, oh yeah, those weird fucking eels. In the yeah, there's, there's a scene where the guy threatens somebody with an eel. Yeah. Because I know when I'm threatening people, it's screw the gun, screw the sword. Yeah. I'm going to grab this eel. Makes sense to grab this giant slippery fish <laughs> out of a barrel. Um. So eventually... Uh, they go to what they go to a slave auction and that's how they meet the Matthew Modine's character yes, that's because a, he got caught uh, from stealing from a woman because he's a thief he was he like hanging out with the wealthy folk and trick, on, tricking the, some people. on the mainland and he was dancing and like pickpocketing their jewelry and that stuff and then they catch him he has that big moment he's like I'll see you in hell ladies or whatever and he jumps off the stairs like he's gonna jump and leave and then he just lands and then the army's right there that he's in jail. Typical Jake Spiro moment. Am yeah. I right, guys? <laughs> and then, so they go to a slave auction, and they and they decide to buy Matthew. Uh, his his character's name is Shaw, because because mm. he knows Italian, and the map is in Italian. No, it's and, Latin. Oh, Latin. Sorry, sorry. Latin, the dead language. The the, the romance language. <laughs> so. Uh, and the only reason I bring this up because I find it hilarious that when they when they ID Morgan, they realize, hey, wait a minute, isn't that that famous pirate Morgan? And everybody tries to attack her, is because of that wanted poster. They're like, she looks a lot like that wanted poster drawing, and that wanted poster looked like Michael Myers in a wig. <laughs> it was creepy looking. <laughs> it was not a good. <laughs> and they're like, poster. that looks just like that That's girl. Not definitely her. I was like, whoa, okay. I think of the money they spent on they could have got a good wanted poster. Yeah, seriously. But there's a reason they spent so much money. Well, there's many reasons. But one of them is these giant full-scale replica pirate ships that they had built. And they were built to, like, battle with cannons and all sorts of shit. Like, full-scale, full completely built-from-scratch pirate ships. Yep. And things like explosions. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, I bring up because when they escape the city after freeing Shaw, there's the, this giant wagon chase scene, and there's a bunch of explosions. Because the, they're firing cannons the, at the city. To try to shoot logically makes the sense yeah. to just barrage your own city with cannon fire because you're trying to shoot a wagon. That's, you know, that's running through, that's racing through city streets. Yes. You know. just, just conveniently right along the shore so that they keep firing at the city. <laughs> But there's this there's this uh, this great line where Gina Davis she has to run up through a shop and then break through oh a window and land in the wagon. <laughs> yeah, and when she lands, she goes, "Well, let me get." It. When she lands in the wagon, she goes, "I must visit that shop again when I have more time." And it's just <laughs> it's just her delivery is so it's bad. So bad. I must visit that shop again when I have more time. It's like oh, they're trying to like be clever and have like goofy lines and that just just fell so flat i must visit that shop again when i have more time but i want to say though that that shot of her rolling out of the window is pretty seamless and landing on the wagon as it's coming like it's like she jumps off the wagon and the wagon's like going underneath 
this building and she's running through the floors above it and then it's coming to the end and she jumps out the window and rolls just as the wagon comes out from under the awning and she rolls and lands right in the seat and they did it in two parts like visual effects wise but it looks it looks like she really did it like it timed perfectly it's it, actually a really cool shot it is pretty good i'll give them that the, and then she fucked it up with that terrible line. yeah and then she says that really stupid line i'm just like oh that's gonna I be mean, one of those movies <laughs> Um, yeah, I found myself saying that a lot. It's like, oh, it's gonna be one of these types of movies. <laughs> I found myself saying, "Man, she is not good in this." A lot. <laughs> yeah, right, that too. <laughs> so racing ahead, they they eventually there's a, there's a scene when they encounter. They go to get the second piece of the map, and she gets it from her one uncle before he before he dies. And there's a big fight in a tavern. Yes, tavern fight. And uh, you introduce there's there's a character that's introduced as is dogs. Uh, Right hand, right hand man, uh, and it's like okay, it's like this kind of grounded pirate movie sort of, and then all of a sudden you introduce this character who literally has a chain for a hand. <laughs> That's right, and he could l- l- launch the chain at people and wrap them up in it and then pull them like he's fucking Scorpion yeah, from right. <laughs> from Mortal Kombat. He seemed like a Batman villain or something. It was very bizarre and out of place. And that whole fight scene was just—it has a terrible. That's there's a terrible CGI sh- green screen shot of her falling through oh, a table. Oh yeah, that's really bad. It's really bad. It's just clearly like her. If for some of you out there who might be computer and visual effects inclined, it's li- literally just her like laying on her back on a probably a green box, and then wiggling her arms and legs like she's falling, and then they just green took the green out and then just shrunk. The scaled the shot down to make it sh- seem like she's shrinking and falling. There's like, like no, there's no so weight bad. of her hitting the table. Yeah, exactly. And they did that again later on when somebody falls off, when she falls off the cliff and they like disappear into the water. Yeah, it was so bad. And when they fall off the uh, the crow's nest or whatever on the ship. Mm-hmm. So then there's uh, also in the, the tavern scene is a brilliant uh, explosion scene of where <laughs> they knock a, a chandelier off the roof. And it falls and crashes to the ground. And by the way, this chandelier is—it's uh, a circular chandelier, yeah, full of fucking candles. It's like one of those classic, like steel chandelier with candles. Looks like a wheel almost. And yeah, I don't know. And like this, uh, a candle chandelier falls, hits the ground, and blows up this entire fucking. Well, there was gunpowder getting loose everywhere. And the chandelier falls and just explodes. And there's like it's huge, like four or five cuts of the building exploding, yeah. and like windows and everything. Like a totally excessive. Randy Harlan was like, "I'll show Michael Bay what's up." Seriously, I, I think he might have been doing Michael Bay before Michael Bay. Speaking of explosions, like uh, way later in the movie, because I don't care about the how how this all plays out anymore. There's a there's a shot when the heroes are running from some other explosions. I think it's way later. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> and uh, a barrel goes flying from one of the explosions, and it hits Matthew Mo- Modine like right in the head. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that wasn't planned. <laughs> the explosions were a plenty, plenty of explosions. Which I, I mean, all right. I'm like, I'm not opposed to explosions. At least it's something happening. So yeah, eventually, dog. Uh, th- uh, they she takes the, the. There's a big pirate battle at the end between the two ships, and a bunch of her people get taken captured. Uh, and, and she she goes sneaks on and she and they fight and everybody and of course blah 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 and she frees them and there's just this great scene I wanted to point out when she frees uh 
her crew. They're like all chained up in the bottom of the the fucking the ship or whatever. And in the background of one of the shots when she's like giving her speech and freeing her people, there's this like extra that's like just casually standing there with whip marks all over his back. You know, like someone was torturing him. And he just looks real chill about it. <laughs> like, like he's like looking back at her, like, "Oh, hey, we filming." And he's like, "Oh." It's like it's like, dude, try to look like you're in some pain. Just <laughs> giving a speech. Yeah. yeah, your back looks real rough. No, nah, it's cool. Maybe he was in shock. <laughs> you don't know. But it was just, and then oh, and then there's a great turn at the very end where uh, there's a couple British people that are also pursuing. There's some them. Royal Army or Royal Navy people that are pursuing all the pirates and one of the douchey uh brit uh, british guys for some reason just decides to join up with dog with dog and uh and his like second in command uh like who he keeps saying like hey you catch these pirates as a captain you know position for you or whatever and then at the very end for seemingly no reason the the british soldiers point their guns at like our, our main heroes and they're like oh no they finally beat dog but now the british are gonna arrest them and this guy shoots a british soldier he shoots one of his own british soldiers and like just decides to join them and be a pirate yeah he like was sympathetic to the pirates or something and but it's decided, like they didn't really set it. it up at all yeah they, like nothing really happened too much where he'd be like wow these pirates are actually good people i think it's because his boss was the one who was the turncoat. But if your boss was a dick, would you go and shoot one of your fellow employees that had that's nothing good, to do with that's it? That's a good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was definitely a pirate. He's just killing soldiers for no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a weird turn, too. Like, they, but they... Oh, and then there's the, the, the guy who's, like, an author who writes pirate stories. Yeah, that's another side character. And he, he's the one who turns in morgan to the british yeah and that character was also acted very poorly yes there's a lot, a lot of bad acting there's a lot of bad acting in this there's... i felt like i felt like the only one that was really trying was matthew modine like he yeah. thought and we'll get into that later he thought this was going to be his big ro- breakthrough role so i think right. he's really trying he i mean it, for those of you who don't know matthew modine uh modine. he was the main character in full metal jacket um private joker so that that's a much better film go watch that uh but that's probably what he's best known for if i had to guess oh yeah he was in the dark knight rises too he was um he's in a lot of stuff his 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 fully but i don't remember but he's never really been major roles right but like if you saw his face you would know him and he actually he looks pretty good for he was just in the new season of stranger things the age he is um, yeah, so like you definitely you definitely know him. He he thought this was gonna be his big breakout role to be like, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna finally be a the blockbusters. Man. Yeah, I'm gonna but, I'm gonna be the next. And we'll get in Tom like, Cruise. Some things to say that's there. A, that's probably actually not a terrible reference, right? Tom Cruise started got big in the late '80s. Yeah, so he was probably trying to see you know, just you wanted to become that big, be a big star. Don't forget, though, I'm pretty sure the character was named Dog just for the final line that she says to him. Remember that amazing scene? Oh, yeah, but I want you to tell it because your memory is probably better. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so so Dog's finally got Morgan trapped in, in, down in the in one of, in the interior of one of the ships. Oh, yeah, they've been fight. They were sword fighting up on the, the, on the 
up on the sails and yeah, on the crow's shit. nest and on the the long things that hold the sails. So they 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 end up making their way into the interior of the ship, and he's finally got her down and and, and beat, and he's all you know gloating like villains do, and then like in the kind of like any final words type moment, she pulls a sheet off a cannon that was conveniently loaded and sitting right next to her and lights it and goes bad dog oh, and then right. the cannon shoots him and it shoots him like out the back of the ship bad dog. but at the end of the day everyone lives happily ever after except for dog and everyone else that died that's because he was a bad dog oh god bad dog the focus of international success was quite innovative at the time, as no other studio, save for Canon, focused on worldwide distribution. This movie was obviously a mess and sucked and uh, was very forgetful, and I don't, I still don't remember a lot of it. Even yeah, I, just I know. Watched I it. feel like I missed, there was a few points that I was like, "Oh, that w- that was just stupid and ridiculous." But, but what made this movie bomb, though? And uh, I mean, was it being bad that made it bomb? I guess I should ask. I don't think so. It never got a chance. Um, I, I think, think yes, yes, and no. Myself. Well, yeah. I mean, it definitely didn't help it that it was. I don't so think there was terrible. ever any excitement about it. Quickly, and then when once anyone who did go see it, outside of the eight other things they could see, or ten. Uh, so to kind of to kind of get into it, uh. Cutthroat Island had notoriously troubled and chaotic production. Um, it went through a lot of major recasts, re- rewrites, a host of unset issues, and like we said, the budget, the the budget, the bitches, the, <laughs> the bitches, the budget uh, ended up getting near a hundred million dollars, even over a hundred million dollars. And originally, it was only supposed to be sixty million dollars, only sixty million dollars, which so, is still, I mean, a, a fair amount. It's at that point in time. Yeah, it still would have lost money. Well, yes, uh, but, definitely. But it would not have been as as terrible. 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 So, uh, I think a uh, subject to get into is losing key cast members. Definitely. Uh, when this movie was in the early stages, it had a lot more uh, theoretic potential. Uh, Michael Douglas had originally agreed to play Shaw. Uh, but he had two conditions. One, they had to start filming ASAP because he had other shit to do. And Busy man. And two, he had to have the same amount of screen time uh, as his co-star, Gina Davis, which I feel it was like a little nitpicky, but also, you know, if you're supposed to be the star. Right. That is a weird, like, that is one of those weird things to demand, but yeah, I mean. Uh, but Douglas would end up pulling out of the film after he had originally said he was going to do it, uh, claiming that they did uh, the opposite of what <laughs> he asked. And uh, they ended up, ex- Hughes said that they ended up expanding uh, Davis's role at his character's expense. And this is when things get juicy, because this yeah. is when I think the, the a big aspect of this movie was playing favorites that that really hurt this movie all right because uh as we as kind of hinted at earlier uh we didn't hint at we stated it but you probably forgot by now (laughs) uh gina davis who's the main star of this movie 
was married to the director, Rennie Harlan, when this movie was being made. And I think this is a big point in making or in pointing out because Davis's star wasn't exactly burning hot at this time. Uh, she had three uh, bad movies in a row. Her career was a sinking ship. Ooh. But like at this point in her career, she didn't really have, I don't feel like the recent uh, payoff or the recent success to kind of back right. pushing her she so have heavily. The receipts, the receipts coming yeah. in to, to, to warrant this. Outside of, you know, the director being favoring his wife. Right. And uh, like, like we mentioned, she was mostly known for comedies and uh, the producer, one of the producers of this movie, actually reportedly had to be convinced by Harlan that his wife could be an action-adventure star because they were like, this isn't really her fucking wheelhouse. Coming into Cutthroat Island, you know... Oh, I already said that. She'd been in a couple bombs. And those bombs being uh, a Hero, Angie, and Speechless. Never heard of any of those. Exactly. I've heard of League of Her Own. That was like the big thing she was known for, really. So, so maybe this is just... Point. What about Beetlejuice? Got you. Oh, yeah. Beetlejuice. So maybe this is just me. But when you think, but hold on. When you think Beetlejuice, you don't think <clears throat> Gina Davis. No. You think Michael When I Keaton. think League of Her Own, I don't think Gina Davis. Wasn't she the main character in that, though? Yeah, but I don't think of her. I mean, she's she's <laughs> overshadowed by Michael Keaton and um, Goth Girl in Beetlejuice. The yeah. daughter. I thought he was talking about League of Her Own. I was no. like, well, I don't remember Michael Keaton in the movie. You might have been. You don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's not, not neither of those are uh, big budget action films. So, but my point is, uh, this is where I think it gets a little juicy, but maybe it's just me spitballing. But I think that Harlan was trying to make it his mission to use this movie to save his wife's downturn career. That's right. That's my theory this time. That is juicy. And I'm going to get more into it. But first, all right. After Douglas. Word from our sponsors. Oh. After Douglas quit, Harlan was so preoccupied trying to replace him with another uh, a big star that they started doing set work and script rewrites without Harlan being there to do his input. I don't understand that at all. Like, was he literally combing through piles of headshots? Like, what on earth is going to take that much dedication to getting another replacement? Does he. Is he cold calling like fucking Marlon Brando and from I don't know, but from what I read, they were they were getting ready to film, so sets were starting to go into production, yeah. and Michael Douglas was like, "Sorry," so he's like, "I gotta find go. new a new person." So I guess he wasn't there to supervise, but it, it says when he did come to set, uh, you know, he obviously was like, "I don't, this isn't what I had, this right. isn't my idea at all." So they had to do a lot of massive rebuilds and. And rewriting, which it, means more money. It was stated they started building all these sets and shit, and like knowing that he probably wouldn't like them. And then when he got there, he's like, "I don't like any of this." They had to rebuild it all. <laughs> like, it's rebuild. like, oh, we nailed it. Yeah. Oops. So, but you're like, okay, so that kind of sucks. I'm but still getting paid, right? That kind of sucks, but at least he was out there finding a big new star, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, granted, as many as uh, as many people as he had to go through to finally get his big star. It's not yeah. shocking. Well, I mean, time. in Matthew Modine, they had their their second. I mean, their third. I mean, their fourth. I mean, their fifth. I mean, their eleventh choice. <laughs> Don't say that, poor Matthew. So, uh, before before Matthew, or not me, because I would have been the fifty ninth choice. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, before him, that'd have been a bold choice to to pick. 
five-year-old Matt Christie. Yeah. Choose your battlements, man. <laughs> Would have made those uh, slavery scenes that much darker. <laughs> Ooh, I like it, though. So other people they were trying to go after were Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson, <laughs> Jeff Bridges, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Charlie Sheen. Ray Fiennes. Oh, on. sorry. Is it? I fucked that up real bad. Ray Fiennes. Michael Keaton. Hey! <laughs> Tim Robbins, Daniel Day-Lewis, and, of course, Gabriel Brine. Burn, Burn. I believe. What, what name school did you go to? I, I'm terrible at pronouncing Fucking names. hell. Uh, yeah, that's, yes, Gabriel Byrne, that, our classic. Yeah. Classic star. And I'm ashamed of all of you listening right now for not knowing who Gabriel Byrne is, because I can tell. I can hear you saying, who the fuck is Gabriel Byrne? Yeah, you fucking animals. Jeez, how dare you not know who he is? Yeah, and don't even ask us if we know who he is. Yeah, that's, that's insulting. insulting as hell. <laughs> so yeah, eleventh choice, <laughs> Matthew Modine. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, awesome. But I mean, you know, you have don't... to think though. Like in his position, if you see that list of of people, and most of them all pretty big stars or successful at least by that point you got to think like all right well if i was if i'm in the running with these guys and then this got to be a big moment for me yeah and and you know it's like at least now they finally have their guy they could get on with it right everything's yeah. gonna be good get this fucking over with but no shooting was did not go well they had a lot of delays the budget kept getting out of control uh harlan ended up firing his chief camera operator and more than two dozen crew members quit because they were not happy about that move. That's uh, that's impressive. Um, uh, one one time on set, it's there's a story that a, a broken pipe caused raw sewage to pour into the tank where the actors were supposed to swim. <laughs> uh, and they say tank for those of you not knowing. Uh, though it may look like everything takes place out on the ocean in these big epic helicopter shots of ships and whatever. Uh, a lot of movies based you know, on the water are shot in on water tanks, basically a soundstage, but it's filled with a giant fucking pool. Um, so, yeah, when the, the sewage line breaks and starts leaking into the water, not really a... That might be an OSHA violation. I'm just going to throw that out there. And here's a, If they're even in... I don't even know what country they were in, actually. It might not have been. Speaking of the tanks, there's a... There's a uh, an article that says <clears throat> that Harlan insisted on full-size replicas of, of a couple of 17th century ships, uh, 20 cannons, uh, two long decks. Uh, the ships cost a million dollars to build <laughs> and for the, he could film these fights on them though. And, uh, once it says during production, one of them caught on fire and it says disaster was narrowly averted and production was suspended for three days. All right. So, all right. Three-day weekend. And then, uh, I mean, he got, one of, Harlan kept arguing that the cost was going to be worth it because they were selling this overseas as a big action movie. And so he kept saying, don't worry, we're going to have all these special effects. It's going to be like Die Hard and make tons of money. And he, uh, it says, Harlan flew in horses from Austria, carpenters from England, stuntmen from Poland, in the interests of saving the movie, Carlico uh, 
in Harlan ordered uh, 2,000 costumes, 309 firearms, 620 swords, 250 daggers, and 100 custom-made axes. Um, in a letter home, another uh, Matthew Modine actually wrote a about this. Home. Yeah, it sounds like the war. I know it? he's on the Modine. front lines. Modine, dearest like, mother. Yeah, he wrote a letter that said, "Dear mother, members of the crew were suffering today from heat exhaustion and food poisoning, probably because of the poop in the water, <laughs> and they kept mentioning how polluted the water was, the very water our crew had to work in." Which those were real, com- real, real things that he said in the letter. Just didn't probably, say it like that. Yeah, he probably didn't say it like that. But because of that, uh, and then be- the in Thailand, because they shot in Thailand is in in tanks and stuff as well. Uh, their the crew was said to be inexperienced at shooting on water, and they they are suffering injuries and because of that delays and because of that because of that sickness. And so it's just a just a goddamn mess. More money. Though I will say that uh, Harlan supposedly shelled out a million dollars of his own money to rewrite the script. Yeah, because I mean, Carlico was going into so much debt. I, yeah, because they. I think he even deferred some of his five million dollar uh, fee for the film. I think I read that somewhere. He d- he deferred part of it so that they could just make the fucking thing, figuring it was going to make money. Um, so I mean, at least he he put some skin in the game and seemed to really be dedicated to making this, even if it was a turd. But as you can see, once again, shooting on water causing yeah. huge issues. Shooting on water, another common theme on the pod. Yep, and it's just it's tough issues. The the uh, his the director playing favorites with his wife. Mm-hmm. Just a just a lot of the V eight the. V- the VA. So uh, this is an IMDb trivia that may or may not be true, but allegedly Matthew Modine had said that it was so expensive. Like there's one example of like the excessive amount of money they were spending was that they had cases and cases of V8 juice shipped to Malta expressly for Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis. <laughs> oh, wow. And then at, towards the end... Um, it was served up for everybody as there was an entire room of it to be dispensed with. So like there's just that imagine like a pallet of V eight coming in. Like ugh, like V eight for one. Like that's the whole other thing. But like you're just spending that much money on V eight that they have to give it away to everyone on the cast and crew. The other nugget that he had to say was that they had three cameras constantly in use. Ooh, it sounds like some some Ishtar film. It sounded right a little Ishtar, yeah. So now, granted, when you're doing a lot of stunt scenes and action explosions. sequences, explosions, like it, they probably had more than three cameras in use at certain points um, because of that. Just to, you capture as many angles as you can when you you only have one shot essentially of blowing something up. Uh, but if you're shooting three cameras constantly, and just that's tons and tons of film. And the more you go through that, it's expensive to get processed. You got to ship that shit somewhere, probably back to the U.S., back to the studio where they're going to process everything. And have, like all that stuff just adds up to the cost. Like it's, it's, mm. And that cost plus the crappiness of the movie killed them. It did. It killed just, them dead. Just like dog. 
I think there was I think the failed assumption that they could just be this really excessive behemoth movie because they just assumed like that's all right this is going to be a big hit like that the gall the balls on them to <laughs> the go that goddamn gall Carolco and Carolco and Rennie Harlan specifically like man I don't honestly well well I mean, we'll amazing. get a little into the into the fallout of Carolco in the aftermath section, but I don't really think they exactly were cool with how this got out of control. No, I don't think they just it, didn't have a choice. They're act, and that's right. They're actually lucky that it even they could even get as far to make it because and what say what saved them uh, in in essence is the pre sales. I and mean, for those of you who don't know pre sales, and we talked about how. They were selling the rights to distribute the film to foreign countries. That's before very, it even came out. Yeah. Before it's even made. That's a very common practice in film financing. It's called pre-sales. And you basically say, here's the movie. Here's who's who's in it. Here's the genre. Here's the budget. They can take all those numbers and analytics and say, all right, we can guess like it's going to make this much to this much in this range. We'll give you this much money up front. And that's where they use where they pitched it with the quote of it being a dozen diehard movies. Right. And they think, oh, diehard, that's going to be amazing. So I wonder when you think when they were pre selling it, that was still when uh, they had Michael Douglas's name attached. Oh, I'm, I would bet for sure. Uh, they, they probably wrote that. And then <laughs> hopefully those, con- I assume the contracts that they signed were like tight to be like, oh, well, we may reserve the right to change casts <laughs> completely. <laughs> Because that would have screwed them real hard. But they're, uh, if you're really interested in like all the minutia of this film, the independent article is actually really pretty in-depth. talks a lot about this. But like, if they hadn't pre-sold this film, and if Carol Co. hadn't had the track record that it did to at least be, to at least get like uh, foreign distributors to be like, all right, well, these guys did Terminator 2, and they just did Cliffhanger. And mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we'll, like, oh, we'll, we'll give them the money. But that that just blew up in their face. The, well, there was the the talk about Matthew Modine said that he'd never <laughs> something like he'd never been in a film where the director rarely ever talked to him, and it felt like he was never giving him any feedback or direction, and it was all just aimed at his wife, and he just felt like he wasn't even there. And that's like that's got to be deflating. Um, to think, oh, I'm going to be in this big action movie. I'm going to star. And then, like, the director just barely even gives you the time of day. Yeah. And I, I mean, I Except think Except that he wants you to do your own stunts. Yeah. He was really huge adamant in that. And I think that's the big thing. And when I mentioned that how Harlan was just kind of used, seemed to be using this as a, as a, as a engine to better his wife's career mm-hmm. at the fucking cost of this entire studio. Yeah. Um, and Matthew in that uh, in that independent article, um, Modine said it's the first movie I've worked on where the director really never spoke to me. <laughs> it was frustrating, and Rennie spent a lot of his time just finding new ways to blow things up. He likes to blow things up, <laughs> and he also mentioned how, like you said, he spent a lot of his time other than trying to blow stuff up, uh, working with his wife. Right. Uh, so, and here's poor hungry Modine, you know, thinking this is going to be his, his huge role. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, part of him's thinking, this is why Michael Douglas left. Yeah. Right. He's like, Oh, now I get it. I get it. 
With a bad 1989 and a bittersweet start to 1990, Roka was falling behind again and were still not considered a legitimate major. So, we know all these things that went wrong, but I guess to obviously ask the question that we always ask, how do you uh, how do you prevent this this movie? How do you make this not as big as a fuck as it was? Burr, 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 could this have been prevented? It's a new theme song. Oh, you're doing the theme songs? Now? I don't know. You didn't how do it. How dare you? You fucking passed the buck. Um, could it have been prevented? <sighs> I had. Even if they'd made it for $60 million on the dot, like if they had been perfectly on budget and with Michael Douglas, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think the only, the way they, the, the way to, if you could go back in time and try to save this movie is you keep Michael Douglas, you make him the lead, mm-hmm. not Gina Davis. You kick Rennie Harlan off because, uh, you either have Rennie or you have Gina. You do not have them both in this movie. Right. You do not right. do that. So whichever one you want, but it's got to be Douglas that, that leads it, not Gina. Mm-hmm. And it's got to, her director cannot be her fucking husband that seems to only have her interest in it. Right. And then maybe, and then you still have to keep the budget low. Uh, hopefully, obviously, you try to make the story better. And then maybe this movie. I feel like you keep you can keep Frank Langella playing dog because he, he was fine he was fine he liked to uh he liked to chew the scenery but uh <laughs> it even admitted that this is one of his favorite roles he's ever played because it was so it was so over the top like he had no restrictions on how ridiculous the character could be probably because the director was paying attention right to probably he's just like ah you're the bad pirate do whatever you want and he probably just fucking had a field day so we mentioned uh i uh like kind of not having Gina Davis be uh, the main role. So let me ask you this, Steve. Let me pose pose you this hot topic Ooh. question. Uh, do you think the world was just not ready for a female-led action movie at this time? No. All right. <laughs> Terminator 2 came out before this, which is a female-led action movie. So you say it's not ready. I'm saying, <laughs> no, I'm saying the world was ready. This movie just sucked. Yeah, I mean See, a female-led pirate movie. I don't know. It's tough to say. They really tried to make Gina Davis like. I just don't think. But uh, she was just so bad. She's not a good choice. That's she was, the really the. And Rennie Harlan tricked that fucking producer so hard. Don't worry, my <laughs> wife could. She could be an action Seriously, star. I want to be a fly on the. I want to go back in time and be a fly on the wall in that room to see how he convinced them that his wife would be the good choice for this. She could sell hard-edged, alcoholic, uh, fucking brawler. Like, she brawls like crazy in this She movie. does. And she just, like, goes straight toe-to-toes with dudes way bigger mm-hmm. than her. And they, it's like, literally, if you read the script and you named this character a, a gender-neutral name... Well, Morgan could go either way. That's true. Yeah. I don't think, if you read the script, it's almost like, you know, is is a role written for a man, and they just were like, let's make it a woman. Well, that's clearly what they did because they just took Michael Douglas's stuff <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Because I wonder what what they would have done. What Shaw's character would have been. What Shaw's, yeah, if Shaw would have been a woman or if Shaw still was just going to be a Latin-speaking slave. Yeah. 
Well, mm. he wasn't even a slave. He was See, a she con man. Been, but that's sexist. Now she's the sexy slave that he frees from, right. from prison. Exactly. <laughs> and what was she a slave for? Being too sexy. She was, she was arrested because she was just so damn sexy. <laughs> What is that accent? Oh, that's the king when he, when the, the the governor of the town when he saw her. Oh yeah, he couldn't control himself, right. so he had her arrested. He's, He's like, like, "You need to be a slave." Dear Lord, look at that woman! <laughs> Imprison her now! Please don't do that voice ever again. <laughs> Even if you had kept the story the way it was, and just replaced Gina Davis with someone else. Uh, there was a, on the IMDb trivia it said that Meryl Streep was considered for the role. I don't know if I believe that nor do oh, I think that's imagine, that much of a better choice can you imagine Meryl Streep just like pistol whipping the shit out of people in this movie <laughs> what a nice shop I'll have to go come back when I have more time <laughs> I must visit that shop again when I have more time I don't know if anyone can deliver that line in a way that it would not suck but Gina Davis did not do it any favors <laughs> she didn't I wonder if, oh, I mean, Jesus Christ, even a simple, like, when she lands and she's like, you miss me, would have been better. Oh, right. <laughs> here's here's another thing that is mentioned, I think, in that article, is the there was a film, a different pirate film called Mistress of the Seas uh, that Gina Davis and Michelle Pfeiffer were supposed to be in, hmm. that they were supposed to star. Um, and apparently they wanted, the studio that was going to do it wanted to cast Harrison Ford in the lead, but Ooh. Paul Verhoeven, the director, uh, didn't believe an action film with a female lead could be financially successful. Oh no, sorry. They wanted to persuade him to cast Harrison Ford because they didn't. the studio didn't believe that an action film with a female lead could be successful. Oh. So that one was shelved. So there was a lot of thought that because she was going to be in that, that it warranted her being in this very different pirate movie. And then those damn fucking misogyn- misogynistic, I can't say that misogynistic. word. Misogynistic. Misogynistic fucking studio dudes were unfortunately proven right because <laughs> this movie bombed terribly. Uh, Paul Verhoeven directed RoboCop, the original RoboCop, just for an FYI on who, who he was. Maybe if Gina Davis, maybe Michelle Pfeiffer, I would I would honestly buy Ms. Michelle Pfeiffer in that role over Gina Davis. Just like thinking of those two as being in a pirate movie. I could have seen her. After seeing her play Catwoman, she's got that edge and that kind of weird sadistic she, side. She I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen anything else as to like who else might have been considered, and I don't know how much they're true. But there was definitely more consideration for the male lead. Yeah, I could see maybe. Maybe you replace her. Maybe you get someone who's not Michael Douglas, but also not Matthew Modine, one of those other 11 guys. If you could have convinced any of those other guys yeah. to do it. I mean, Cause that, that, when you have that many people, maybe I'm not privy to Hollywood enough, but when you have that many people turn down a role, don't you got to realize that role sucks? Or that there's something not appealing? I, you would think so. Like you would think they read this and then it's like, oh, I don't really even do anything. Like I get freed as a slave and I read some Latin and have a few one-liners here and there and some sort of sexy banter scenes. But yeah, I, I don't think there was a lot there to be to warrant like a one of these stars to be like, oh yeah, I'll play this role. Like no, it, the not, way not in the role that we we got in. This no, movie like the least. way it's portrayed, it it is is good for a secondary 
uh, second tier actor or someone who's not really a big star. Well, that's sort of what they got. That is what they got. Like it, they got what the role deserved, unfortunately. Um, and I don't think uh, Rennie Harlan cared that much, which nope. is weird because he spent so much it time trying seemed, to find. It almost seems like he wanted it, and it just gave him more reason to push his wife as the main character. Yeah, for sure. So this uh, this film crashed and burned. Uh, there's it, it shook the ground. Worlds topple, you know, buildings fell over and trees collapsed. But uh, so let's uh, let's take a look at the 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 aftermath of this disaster and and how it affected affected things and careers and frankly, you know, uh, my psyche. <laughs> the two projects that Kuroko had to choose from: Crusade, the epic medieval action film with Arnold Schwarzenegger attached as star and Paul Verhoeven to direct, and Cutthroat Island. This film bombed so hard that it uh, bankrupt and closed down Carol Cole Pictures. Uh, which, uh, as we've mentioned, they weren't exactly a scrub studio. No. They, they had, like, you know, we mentioned T2 several times, but some other films they did were also like Total Recall, Basic Instinct, and uh, the first three Rambo films. Right. So they, they had some success in the 80s and 90s. They definitely had... Or early 90s. Sort of a niche there of kind of hard-edged action. Uh, is Basic Instinct an action film? I don't know if I've actually seen it. But, I mean, they had their genre. And so I feel like Cutthroat Island departed from it a little bit. It's more it's, whimsical than, yeah. than what they were usually doing. Still like an action-adventure, though. Yeah. But... <clears throat> in saying that Cutthroat Island alone killed this studio, as much as that'd be fun to say, right? It is inaccurate because uh, the and it, it would make the stigma for this movie even even better. Right. But Carolico had already been having had already been in decline before this movie, and we mentioned that in the beginning when we stressed that this is the movie they were trying to save themselves with. Uh, they um so they were going through cutbacks prior, um. They were losing money because they were also doing a lot of smaller budget ones that we didn't mention that right. really weren't panning out. And they were, they were starting to get criticized because they had a what what some studios uh, weren't, weren't happy with is they were spending a lot of money on stars at the time. Back when, like, this was big money. Like, stars didn't really get this big of paydays back right. then. They, report, they reportedly paid uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, an unheard of salary for T2 and Total Recall ranging from 10 to 14 million dollars for each role which is a huge number for that time. They I mean they're sort of accredited with starting that starting the trend of paying stars these absurd amounts of money for these big blockbuster films. Which is how you get to movies today where Robert Downey Jr. gets like 30 to 40 million dollars right, for exactly. Marvel movies. They they change the industry in a big way and ironically they went out of business <laughs> so uh trying to like leading up to this carol co uh re- restructured uh they made some deals with other studios to try to save themselves uh one deal they made that uh really kind of bit them in the butt is they made a deal with tristar and they sold their full distribution rights for in the u.s and five other countries for cliffhanger and we mentioned how Cliffhanger ended up making a, a lot of money. And 
Carol Co. did not really benefit from that. Nope. Because um, the, the problem was they needed they needed cash on hand to, to actually literally keep producing movies. So they were just selling whatever they could to get money in the bank to be able to actually make the films. But they were so dead set that they were going to have this movie with Michael Douglas that was going to save them. And so they lost all this money with... You know, by doing that, but I don't even know what they would have had to do to to not sell those rights and just keep their doors open. Right. So it's kind of tricky to say, but to even fund Cutthroat Island, uh, Carol Co. sold their rights to several films that they had in production, mm. which uh, one of them was was Showgirls, but the other one was Stargate. Ooh. And Stargate uh, ended up being made for fifty five million dollars. And earned twenty million, uh, two hundred million. Yeah, it was a big hit. So that would have been their saving grace. That one could have been their saving grace. Yeah, but instead they're like, no, we'll go with Cutthroat Island. Uh, they also had to cancel a Schwarzenegger project that was in production called Crusade, uh, and they had to to free up more. And that was, I think, when their budget started to balloon. They'd end up canceling this 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 crusade crusade movie and they also by canceling crusade with schwarzenegger they already had a deal signed so they still had to pay him a pretty big fee oh right which also is you know not great when you're trying to pool any money you can to make one last potential <laughs> movie uh caracol actually ended up declaring bankruptcy about a month before cutthroat island even hit theaters uh and then it's it's performance being you know absolute dog shit just killed any hope of saving the studio and only th- about three months after cutthroat island hit theaters uh Carolco's library was purchased for 58 million dollars in bankruptcy court who who actually purchased it canal plus oh yeah that's they're still listed i think lionsgate has something to do with it because when i watched it on hbo go that lionsgate was the first uh company credit to come up so that that was the end of a studio. I think this might be the first movie we've talked about that was helped made kind of finalize the downfall of a studio. Yeah, I think um was it Ishtar sort of was the death knell for at least Coca Cola's interest in making films. <laughs> yeah, Coca Cola got out of the movie yeah, business they because sold of Ishtar. Off, uh, whoever whatever studio that was, but but this it was Columbia. But the studio. Oh yeah, right. oh yeah, it was Columbia. But the studio didn't die. So right. Yeah, well, I mean, they they still are struggling along to this day. But, but moving on to my man, my man uh, Rennie Rennie Harlan, the director. Oh Rennie, I got some stuff to say about Rennie. All right, because Rennie used this movie, as I've said several times, that I feel like maybe this is my own personal opinion to what to push his wife's career. And I mean, he convinced them, you know, to to cast her, and beefing up her role made them lose Michael Douglas. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, mm. right after this, Rennie Harlan would go on to direct *The Long Kiss Goodnight*, which starred, can you guess, Gina Davis? Gina Davis. So he kept he kept trying to make her make her a, 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 an action star. He's like, kept on doing. Um, Long Kiss Can Night uh, did uh, 
make a little more than its budget. It earned about $25 million over its budget and got good reviews. So personally, I credit Shane Black for any success that movie had. Not you, Harlan. Yeah, you're going to credit Shane Black for the new Terminator, Terminator, new Predator movie? I mean, yeah, but I don't know if it'll be a good credit. (laughs) So even though Rennie Harlan was doing all this for his his wife, who he was obviously really trying to do anything she wanted, uh, they ended up divorcing uh, in, in 1998. Uh, they were they were only married from ninety three to ninety eight, uh, and this was one of four marriages for Gina Davis. By the way, good old Hollywood uh, coincidence that the only two movies that Harlan made during ninety three and ninety eight uh, had his Gina Davis in them. I think not. You think not? Listen, man, I'm not trying to imply that Gina Davis just uses people and then, like, moves on and, like, <laughs> finds whoever could, could like, benefit her career most and marries them and then kicks them to the curve when it doesn't work. I'm not trying to say that. I'm that not be... trying to say that. Gina, I'm not saying that. If people are telling you I'm saying that, they're lying. I'm not saying that. I'm just casually pointing out, okay, that Gina Davis originally broke under the scene, sort of, I guess, uh... She had a, a, a smaller role in this movie called Transylvania 65000 that came out in the year 1985. What a terrible title, by the way. It's a terrible title. And there's there's this little-known guy in that movie uh, named Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis worked in that movie together. He was obviously a main the main role, and she played a, a very a small role. She was not you know, a star or anything then. But then one year after that movie, Gina Davis is suddenly starring in The Fly with Jeff oh. Goldblum. Being like, Jeff. I'm surprised she didn't make it to Jurassic Park. Jeff, you maybe, you know, we should act in something together, Jeff. I'm not saying she said that. I'm not implying that, people. But maybe and then, and then, the studio was just like, oh, you and your wife are so adorable together. And then he's like, oh, we're not married. We, I, we just worked together. And they're like, oh. But then after The Fly, they did get married. Oh. And then, oh, and then one year after getting married, she was in another film, a starring role, by the way, that Jeff Goldblum also appeared in, you know, maybe to give her a little boost. Hey, if you, you know, this is your movie, I'll just make a quick appearance so <laughs> we can put my name on the poster. Yes. Help some people get in there. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, finally, her career got rolling. She started getting cast in movies. Uh, she got nominated for an Oscar. So now Gina Davis has a name established for herself. So, you know, her and Jeff Goldblum get divorced. I'm not saying she didn't need him anymore. <laughs> maybe the love just ran out. Love, maybe, you know, it's like a bottle of water. Sometimes maybe it just runs out. But... So, you know, then she had a few bombs eventually. You know, it caught up with her, her... Her comedy, her drama roles weren't really cutting it anymore. And then she meets this guy named Rennie Harlan. He's a director. And he likes to blow shit up. And she's, and then they're like, hey, you know what? We should revitalize your career, Gina. We should make you an action star. Ooh, now they're married. Now he's making action movies. He's putting Gina in them. And wouldn't you know it, uh, eventually we saw how that turned out. Yeah. Uh, didn't take uh, she they get divorced you know time time wear, wears on 
unfortunately in Hollywood, women tend to have trouble getting roles when they get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina Davis, maybe she decides, you know, it's going to be hard to find roles when she's aging. Lucky for her, she ends up marrying a plastic surgeon in oh. 2001. Wow. she's Now she's 62, and she looks amazing, guys. Anybody out there casting a movie, she could play a 40-year-old. No problem. I think, isn't she killing it on TV now? Yeah, and she's, got some, she's had some TV roles. She's doing stuff. Listen, I'm not implying anything. I'm not saying anything about how Jane... If, I'm not saying Gina Davis used people... That's ridiculous. I'm How not saying you. anything. How dare you suggest I'm that? I'm just telling Tim. you about Gina Davis's life. Yeah. God, Tim, you're so sexist. <laughs> She's on Grey's. Gina Davis is on Grey's Anatomy now. So Ooh, that's still going on. It is still going on. I, that's one of those shows. Like I feel like two years ago, I was like, oh, this is still on, and then it's still on as of today too. So good for good for you, Grey's Anatomy fans. We know we have a lot of crossover with Grey's Anatomy we do. fans. We do have a lot. It's surprising. Because they see the autopsy report and they're like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Is this a Grey's Anatomy podcast? And actually... It is. If you Just keep keep waiting until the end. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we get to that at the end. We talk about <laughs> last week's Grey's Anatomy episode. Yeah. That's always hidden at the very end. Which Most people don't know that. Cold as ice. So moving on, our, our final... In the aftermath here, the final actor to really talk about is, is Matthew Modine. Uh, and really, I don't know, really don't have tons to say about him yeah, after this. I mean, he didn't like disappear into obscurity. He, he didn't get the big break he wanted, right. unfortunately. He's still, he's still making it as an actor, though. But we mentioned, yeah, about you know how he's in uh, Dark Knight Rises. He, got, he had a, a main role in Stranger Things uh, season two. Uh, I mean, if you look at the dude's filmography it's huge and at the end of the day like you're still making great money yeah at that level of being an actor and uh, like doing some good work that he's oh, fuck. what the fuck is that some assholes revving their motorcycles outside uh, but he's you know he's probably he's doing fine folks no no uh you know, don't feel, feel like, too sorry for him. He's probably doing better than anybody listening to this. I bet that they could have had better success if they'd gone with a different Matthew. I think we all know what Matthew we're thinking about here. Oh, thanks. That's very kind of you. I'm talking, of course, of our fan favorite Matthew McConaughey. Oh, he could the have McConaughey been a pirate. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. I'll see? allow it. <laughs> you can see that him as a fucking pirate, just like you know. I feel like Matthew McConaughey could have saved the pirate genre the way that Johnny Depp later did. 20, would lo- Ten years honestly, later, I would love to see him play a pirate. Yeah, like I think he totally. If he would have stayed in this kind of like quirky. Like the jovial McConaughey, not like True Detective McConaughey. Not where he's like all dark and broody. Cut wrists and stuff, but like just like classic, carefree McConaughey. Like he could totally be a pirate. I, I would have bought that. I I think, I think he could have revitalized the genre before like weirdly, sort of Mick Jagger or no, Jagger. Keith Richards esque oh. uh, Johnny Depp. 
Let's start a let's start a hashtag, folks. Uh, we want uh, McConaughey for Pirates. I don't even know. I don't know what number, number are they? I on? have no idea. I haven't seen one six? since like the third. I think it's or six. Second. It, I don't know. It's six. We want McConaughey for Pirates six. Uh, I don't. I want him in his own. I want his own franchise. I'm gonna okay. start fresh. Make McConaughey pirates a pirate again. But he was never a pirate. In the it first doesn't place. matter. It works. Mappa. <laughs> ma, 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 Mappa. You got it. two M's there. Make Mahana. Make McCona, Wait. Make Mahonic McConaughey a pirate again. You got to count that A. You usually don't always count the A. But, but this time Mappa. you do. So hashtag <laughs> MMP. M M A P A, folks. We yeah, to we're it. gonna get this started. <laughs> we'll get this going. Uh, speaking of pirate movies, uh, Cutthroat Island has been credited for uh, reducing the bankability of pirate movies for for many years. Almost a full decade. Uh, they scared people away from the genre because a lot of, of course, a lot of people thought it has to be the the, the pirate movie. People right. just don't like pirate movies because there wasn't like a huge track record of like gangbuster pirate movies to begin with so mm-hmm. they just figured ah fuck these things uh and that was finally broken of course by pirates of the caribbean what do we, in 2003. Did we talk about hook yeah we i mentioned hook. yeah right? i mean hook was like that it's not really a full-on pirate it's movie. not it's really not yeah and uh so pirates of the caribbean ended up kind of uh, kind of breaking it but uh, the funny thing is when pirates of the caribbean was coming out a lot of people were being like, oh, no, is this going to be Cutthroat Island all over again? It's based on a ride. It's pirates. Yeah. This- it felt like a real, like, desperate attempt by Disney to create a new franchise. And it, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was. It's just like, oh, we got this theme park ride. Let's turn it into a movie. And then it just worked out too well. Not for Johnny Depp, because he did not manage any of that money well. But So on the on, on this final topic, let me of uh, uh let me just ask do you think uh do you think there's any weight to that do you think that when people say oh it was the genre do you think that a pirate genre is naturally unattractive as a movie or do you think mm. that has nothing really to do with it I, maybe i mean i feel like it was a lot of it i feel like the pirate movie and westerns both kind of fell out of favor around the same time maybe maybe the pirates a little later but I think it just felt like that was a genre that people didn't find appealing anymore. Maybe when you when you get into the 80s and like all the sci-fi and the big budget action films that were more futuristic and more just not like not like a pirate film you would see or like the westerns which really weren't that high action. I think my my problem with pirate movies is I really like the idea of a pirate movie, but the more I think about it so many pirate movies have the same story. Right. Like, I feel like there's a lot you could do with a Western. A lot of stories you could tell. Yeah. But try to think of a pirate movie that doesn't revolve around a treasure. Like, they all have a sim. Like, like it seems like so when you see pirate movie, you know what you're going to get. And that naturally, I think, even maybe mm-hmm. subconsciously, turns people off a little. Like, ah, I've seen this. Is, it, is there ever one where they're trying to hide the treasure? Like they're always trying to find the treasure, but is there ever one where they're like they got a ship full of gold and like oh fuck we got to get rid of this? No, because I feel like we always we're always the crew that comes after that crew. We're always following the crew that comes after. That right, one. right. Well, maybe they need a pirate movie where they're trying to bury the treasure and not find it. Maybe. 
No. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's some of that in, in the other pirate sequels where they're maybe. trying to run away with. All, they got the dead man's chest. There's all sorts of weird shit going on in those movies, though. Yeah, they use a lot of fantasy, and, but but yeah. because of that, it made it different. Right. So. Well, the first one wasn't. Well, it was a little bit, but the first one was the most grounded one, I think. Except for the whole turning undead thing. Yeah, but aside from that. Uh, <laughs> It was not nearly as ridiculous as the the other ones get. And I think people, it was a fun, entertaining movie. Johnny Depp really, I think, I think Johnny Depp is proof that if they'd have had Michael Douglas or someone else that people liked or wanted to see as a pirate, then maybe it wouldn't have been such a disaster. Yeah. And that uh, is not really the genre. Though I think you can't understate Depp's performance because right. if he would have played that as any other pirate it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, if he hadn't been extra swashbuckly, just a, a just a crazy memorable character that had not yet worn. Right. Move between the lines after the hit films. For every Rambo, there was an extreme prejudice in Pound Puppies and The Legend of Big Paul. So we have walked the plank and are standing at the edge. Looking over into the black waters below us. Ooh, yeah. Sharks circling. Ooh. And you see the body of the guy who walked out before you because he took a loaf of bread from the gully. That's a ship Ooh. thing, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> and his his corpse is floating there. And that corpse is also this movie. <gasps> And its box office performance is so him sorry. in the shark-infested water below the plank. It's so symbolic. So what would you say his cause of death is? Probably the sharks. Probably the sharks. <laughs> Maybe the impact of the water, though. Like, that's it's a fall. That's a it's, far drop. It's like concrete. You hit that. You know, I watched Mythbusters. Yeah, but how tall is this fucking plank? How high know. up are it's you? It's on the very top of the ship. It's not know. from the crow's nest. Like maybe. You don't wow. know. They built These guys really are hardcore. Yeah, it's <laughs> like they want to make sure he doesn't survive. But then the sharks. So uh, but so the what is the shark? We know the shark's the cause of death, but what is the shark the metaphor for for this film? Well, I'm not going to say it's a metaphor for a manipulative wife, uh, you know, <laughs> controlling a, a husband who's trying to way too hard to please her. By sacrificing potentially his, his own career, that's ridiculous. That is, I would ridiculous. not imply that. Why would you even say that? I wouldn't do that. I would not do that. So obviously, I'm going to say that the 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 reason this movie t- failed so terribly is because of it being nothing like what they wanted it to be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's probably a fair one. Like it it wasn't anything that they were setting out to make. And then they were too far along. Like there was no going back. And they're just like, well, all right, let's just make this thing. And it's like, it's like they set out to make Transformers and instead they made Transmorphers. <laughs> that terrible asylum ripoff movie that they try to it's trick like, your grandma yeah, with. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> like the video store. You see, like, what was the one? It's like Tornado instead of Twister. Mm. And like, there was a Deep Impact one, or not, or there's like Armageddon Deep Impact. But I think there was another one that they made too that was like a knockoff. But yeah, it's like if the, you didn't know anything about this movie, 
you would think that this was like just like an asylum films cheap knockoff of Pirates of the Caribbean or of like Treasure Island, or right? Something. Totally. Um, I wouldn't. I would have, and I I had when we decided to do this, I was like I had never even really heard of it. Like, oh, Cutthroat Island, all right. And yet, this is one of the biggest Hollywood bombs of all time. Yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think the cause of death is just. A lot of poor decisions made to like if this is going to be your last in potentially your last film like and they knew going into this that this could be this is the movie that's like they had to give up the rights to everything else that they were going to do just to be able to make one more film mm-hmm. um so i would have felt like they would have tried to have made sounder business decisions on that but at the end of the day i don't think anybody ended up being that harmed by it from like the executive level standpoint even the even the director like he went on to make deep blue sea and a bunch of other Randy harlan did deep blue sea yeah that fuck i te- that's why i was uh, texted you about that the other night about i forgot i forgot mike, already mike was going on about <laughs> it and then i looked it up and i realized it was the same director so like he didn't clearly didn't like it really didn't ruin anyone's career. Maybe like I mean, you could say that crew members don't know of, but I mean, it definitely ruined you know all the studio executives. They they lost their damn studio. I'm saying <laughs> they they might have, but I feel like they probably landed softly somewhere else. Hollywood's very incestuous that way, where people will move around, people will start new ventures, whatever. Unfortunately, as we've sort of seen. Uh, in this podcast there tends to be a, a failing upwards mentality yes, in totally one of these guys probably went to run one of the big four studios and uh I don't know if that's true actually i mean the i don't know the, i mean I, don't, I feel like gina davis didn't exactly get out of this okay i mean she did do the long kiss goodnight after this and but yeah i don't uh, but i don't think it it didn't turn into an action star and i don't think that is a it's not a bad thing. She should have never been trying to be one. No, but and I don't think that's a thing that happens that often. The only person I can think of off the top of my head is Liam Neeson, who made that transition very suddenly. And very late. Very late. Even, yeah, especially very late. And he's still doing it. He's still doing action films, and he's been very successful at it. And I feel like that's a very odd occurrence. Like, he's, a, he's an exception to the rule where usually... I feel like usually someone starts as an action star and then they gravitate towards doing more of the artistic. And Once your body can't f- keep up yeah. anymore. But like this dude started with fucking Schindler's List and then he's doing Taken, Taken 3, Taken 4, Taken Snowplow or whatever. I like how after the long kiss goodnight though, Gina Davis apparently gave up, realized that that just wasn't, that route just wasn't working. And then she started doing Stuart Little movies. Oh, voice acting. Oh no, she was. No, in, she was the mom. Oh, that's right, she's the mom. Yeah, ultimately, like, there's there's a lot of things you could say killed th- this person, this this film, this yes. this this, flo- body this bloated floating water, yeah. body has a lot of fatal wounds. Yeah, on it. it was the hit in the water. It was maybe he was shot and fell off of the plank. Maybe he was stabbed with a sword. He tried to surface for air, and someone hit him with an oar. Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> you stay dead. <laughs> Uh, yeah. There, it was his, a, his wedding ring was apparently a fucking boulder. <laughs> <laughs> it was a perfect storm, I think, of many of the things we see in common occurrence. The shot on water, 
They didn't fuck with the logo at the beginning. I was disappointed. I went back to watch the beginning again real quick to see if they... Yeah, we didn't have that classic kiss of death. They didn't have... Oh, I think Universal really takes the cake for that one, but I feel like somebody else did that too recently. Which so. is a shame because I love, I love when people get crazy with their logo. It just never seems to work out. Uh, I know. Especially when it's the dark universe. Don't worry, guys. That's still totally a thing. <laughs> Update. Still totally a thing. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AT Report Pod. Smash those shares and likes, and if you throw in a tweet, Steve will send you a racing pick. And while you're on iTunes, don't forget to leave us a review. Five stars, preferably. Reviews show us your love, and we all just want to be wannabe loved. But don't stray too far. Next time, we'll throw another movie on the slab right here on The Autopsy Report. Next time in Loving Reminders, your mother will tell you how she was in labor for 18 hours and you can't even fucking give me a call <laughs> once a week. What you are you up to? You can't even stop by. I have to bring me some Werther's originals. Instagram page because you won't even post on Facebook because I keep making comments that you say are <laughs> embarrassing. Well, I'm sorry. I care. This guy I, <laughs> very pointed all of a sudden. <laughs> I guess next time I just won't get that C-section. Oh, God. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite section of the podcast. What happened on Grey's Anatomy last week? Matt, I'll let you start.